The Something for Nothing podcast, Jared. We are back with side two of Caress of Steel. Side are you two. excited? I am very excited. I really like the Fountain of Lemnith. I've always I, liked it. I like it too. And um, it takes up the whole side. <sighs> the so whole we're gonna side. we're going to be talking about one song on this one podcast. Right. And the and we're gonna talk about the, the art. We'll talk about some other things. You can reach us on Twitter. At Rush Fancast, Instagram at the Rushcast, email the Rushcast at gmail.com. Talk to us, email us, tweet at us, whatever Instagram is, Instagram us, like our photos, do all that stuff. We want to hear from you. We want this podcast to be for you. And um, let us know what you think. So, yes. with that, yes. uh, let's talk about the artwork on Caressive Steel, Jerry. Because we're not going to talk about one song for this whole podcast. Who is this man? He's the, the necromancer cover? with his magic prism eye. Is it the necromancer? Yeah, it has to be. I, I tweeted out a picture and I said, Who is this man? And I said, We'll find out on the Rush cast, did the Rush fan cast. Respond yet? No, I, I was going to find out from you who oh, it was, and I, I just did. It has to be the necromancer. Oh, you don't know that it's the necromancer. Well, he's got his little, he's looking into his prismatic eye or whatever, and he has a snake next to him, so you know he's not good. Okay. I guess. Who else would it be? All right. I guess and it's right, the necromancer. Do you, know, do you know who designed the cover I, of Caressive Steel, Jar? Who designed the whole thing? It was the first collaboration with Hugh Syme. Hugh Syme. Who has done every single, not only every single Rush packaging, album packaging, from here on out, but everything. Backstage passes. Wow. Uh, t-shirts. He has been an integral part of Rush's design. So do you think this is the reason that they said, you know what? We got to bring this guy on forever. Look at that. Well, you know, this is a mistake. This cover is a mistake. Really? Yeah. It was supposed to be a metallic color, a steel color. And it turned out to be kind and of it a copper a color. It was a printer's error. Really? And it, was, it turned copper. I did not know that. Yeah. And for some reason, they never fixed it. I well, guess they that's probably how, didn't have the money to fix it. Yeah, but they, have, they print them still. Yeah, but why bother? That's Why how little they care it? about this album, I think, is that they wouldn't even do that. It's no. supposed to be steel, caress of steel. Oh, well, that would make a lot more sense. Right. Well, now, now it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, some kind of printer's error. I read also that he, this is supposed to be a line drawing on the front and the back, but it came out a different way because of the way it was cut. I don't know. It was a whole lot of like printer jargon, mm-hmm. but it did not set the tone for the album as a gen- as in general and how it was received. Just everything went wrong, I think, right. with this. And on the back of the album, I'm assuming, is the Fountain of Lamneth. However, yes. it's a waterfall. That's not, not a, a fountain. fountain. That's not a fountain. Unless you're just talking about, they just call it a fountain. Maybe. I don't well, know. if you drink out, is anything you drink out of a fountain? I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I'm going to have to Google that later. I mean, think about it. I mean, before there were actual fountains made of concrete that you could run water through, what, right. what was a fountain? Was this a fountain? Could Maybe. have, could yeah, have a been. A natural fountain? Could have been. It doesn't look very uh, enticing. No. Oh, there is, if you see in the back, uh, there is the sun that is held in the prison. Oh, yeah. The there it is. Okay, yeah. I never even, lo- I never even noticed that. Yeah. And the inside of the album. Yes. As we said uh, on the last podcast, the, in, the inside design renders the lyrics 
almost indecipherable. Now, is this supposed to be some sort of uh, ancient, ancient paper? Rock. I oh, thought it rock? was rock. I thought it was supposed to be like crumbling rock. You can see on the bottom, it looks like little stones. Yeah, that's true. And the font, the font is not... Uh, the font is, yeah, some uh, kind of... Old English sort yeah, of thing. old English fonty thing. Yeah. The pictures are awesome, though. Pictures are great. Look at Neil in that one. He looks... This one? Yeah. He looks like the necromancer. <laughs> he is... Evil. He's in the zone. No wonder everyone thought they were devil worshippers. Look at this. <laughs> you know, all all the pictures are in red, you know, red lights on them, you know? Yeah. They're Satanists. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. If I was my mother back in 1975 and I was looking at this, I'd yeah. think I was a Satanist too. You would? No, not really. But um, yeah, the album cover, I, I mean, not the greatest for me. And I'm sure not for even them. No. But, but you know, uh, I also was looking up Hugh Syme. I, I don't know why I thought he might have done the first, uh, well, not the first one, the first one with Neil, Fly By Night. Right. I don't know why, but he, this was his first one. Who did? There's a good trivia question. Who did design Fly By Night? We should find out before we talk about Fly By Night. Yeah, we should. I don't know. So it, there, was a, there was an article on Billboard.com, an interview with Hugh Syme. When he had a book out in 2015 called The Art of Rush Serving a Life Sentence. Did you know that? I didn't no. Know that. Yeah. It looks it's like a t- coffee table book. Why does it call it a life sentence? Yeah, that's a joke. Oh, okay. Because he works very closely with Neil mm-hmm. and they joke about you know, him serving a life sentence with Rush. Like Everything he does is with Rush. So like it's it's become almost like his prison. He can't get away from them. It's a it's a joke. Oh yeah, but he's still doing it because they're re-releasing all the yeah. albums now with new artwork, and he's responsible for that as well. So it it continues. Yeah, I think Hemisphere's uh, the 40th anniversary edition is out, and there's believe- an extra naked man on it. Maybe no. Well, they do. There's different artwork on the inside, and well, that's the thing in the in this book in this article on Billboard.com, they show alternate ideas for different albums. And mm-hmm. one of the ones they show is an alternate ideal idea for permanent waves, which is really cool. It's there. He hooked them up to, you know, EKG machines while they were playing or something, mm-hmm. and then used a section of it as as just like the little waves, mm-hmm. and then just as permanent waves on the bottom. I don't know. It looked interesting. Now, speaking of the the 40th anniversary editions that are coming out, they did 2112. Mm-hmm. They did Farewell to Kings. They did. Hemispheres. Did they do a 40th anniversary version of Caress of Steel? I don't think they did. I don't know. They they don't like the album. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. If didn't. they do, they should make it the real color. I don't think they did. Well, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it now. It's well past 40 years now. That's true. I mean, I guess they could do it for 50. <laughs> I mean, Rush is really doing a good job of coming up with new things to give the fans and I'm sure make right. money for themselves right. with these 40th anniversary editions. Yeah, I great. mean, they're, they're great. I know. I mean, I, I don't have any of them. I probably should. Yeah, I shouldn't. Um, you know, but it gives something, something new for the fans to have. Right. And I'm sure it keeps the money flowing in for the band and for Hugh Syme and everybody involved. And just keeps them high profile, at least on people's minds. Right. And the fans want this stuff. They do. You know? I mean, I want this stuff too. I just haven't uh, gotten around to getting it yet. Yeah. Too busy uh, doing podcasts, Jer. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Takes so, up all of our time. Takes up all of our time. One thing also in that article that Hugh Syme said, and I, I guess I'd never really paid attention to this, but 
when you think about it for a second, you realize it's true. Rush does not have a, a Rush logo. You know what I mean? Their name, Rush. Yeah, it's different, it's on, different on every on album. every album, and that's a conscious choice. They did that on purpose, Neil and, and Hugh. Hmm. And it was accidental that that Starman logo kind of became their default logo. It was just accidental. They didn't want that to happen. Right. People just kind of grabbed it and turned right. it into their logo, printed yeah. on t-shirts and stuff, right? right? And if you look at most bands, they keep their their band name in a certain font or certain treatment. Right. Like Iron Maiden. Like Iron Maiden. Aerosmith. I'm right. thinking of. But Judas Priest. Yeah. Rush is different on every one. Hmm. I think my favorite. What, what do you? What's think your favorite uh, metal band font? No, I was gonna say, what's your what's your favorite <laughs> oh, Rush treatment font. of Rush? Oh wow, I'd have to think about that. I know I have my favorite. Which which is what? You might as well tell me. Um, once again, it is um, "Farewell to Kings." Really? Yep. Okay. I just it's written kind of. It looks like it's written in like an old ink pen like a reservoir ink pen where it's just kind of leaking all over the place. And it's like handwritten. Now, isn't, isn't hemispheres similar? Hemispheres is similar. Is it not the same? I think you're thinking of hemispheres. Oh no. You ruined it, Jerry. I did ruin it. I'm going to look it up right now. You got to look it up. But, um, I'm pretty sure that the hemisphere is one is the one you're talking about. I mean, when I, when I think of the, the ink written one, I think of hemispheres. I think you're right. Oh, but boy. I'm not going to answer this question because I've got to go back and look at all of them and then decide. I mean, you've, you've had time to think about this. I know. Job. I was I thinking about it. I haven't had time to think about it. Uh, but what, what I did do was find some more quotes from Rush about, about Caress of Steel, the album. This was one I, I saw, which I thought was hilarious. This is Alex. Again, um, a lot of stuff was uh, mined from... Beyond the Lighted Stage, the uh, the movie that came out not too long ago. Yeah. Um, in that, he said, we played Caress of Steel for Paul Stanley of Kiss one night on tour. <laughs> and you could see that he just didn't get it. A lot of people didn't get it. We wondered if we even got it. Mm. Do we get it? Do you get it, Jerry? I, well, I mean, cohesively, no. <laughs> it, it, parts of it, yeah. And Getty, um, you know, you mentioned on the last podcast, they call this the Down the Tubes tour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because uh, Getty said it was a depressing time. You'd pull up at a venue and they didn't even expect you there. It was humiliation oh after humiliation. God. Your shoulders start to slump and you wonder why you're playing a rock club in Oklahoma City on a wet Tuesday night. <laughs> the label and management wanted us to follow a straight path, but we went hard left. We were convinced we would be dropped and end up back home playing at bars. So that's why they called it down the tubes. Yeah. And they, look, they did what they wanted to do. I give them credit. Yeah. You know, and like you said, on 2112, you know, the the, uh, record company wanted them to come up with hits. And what did they they do? Screw you. Screw you. Here's 21. Album side (laughs) song again. Which is awesome. Yeah. And just so you know, you are correct. My favorite, you know. Your favorite font is Hemispheres? It's the Hemispheres font. Oh, okay. I'm the worst. I'm the worst <laughs> Rush fan in the world. I don't think so. You just got confused. It happens. You're it old. Happen. I am you old. Know? Know. <laughs> so but couple... you're going gray your way, John. <laughs> I am That's... going gray my way. From the back to the front. It's a very <laughs> odd way to do it. So there are a couple of weird things about 
the inside, the, the gatefold, there are locations listed under every song. Did you note tiny, no, tiny, tiny, tiny type? Tiny, now, tiny, tiny type. Now, if you don't have this album like we do, right. you don't even know this or no. have never seen this. Like oh, geez, look at that. I, I can't read that, Jerry. Under Bastille Day, it okay. says Beamsville, Pittsburgh, Louisville. What does that mean? I don't know. Under I Think I'm Going Bald, it says Saginaw, Fort Wayne, Lansing. Saginaw is a city in... Oh, they're all cities. Right, but that's, that's in Canada. Yeah. That's like in Saskatchewan or Under something. Under Lakeside Park, South Bend, Saginaw, Terre Haute, and Cincinnati. Yeah, but why? Oh, maybe these were the cities they were in when they wrote the songs. Maybe, or maybe they recorded them in different places. I don't think so. Why would you record anything in South Bend, Indiana? <laughs> I don't know. Because each, each what do we call them, movements, parts mm-hmm. of the Fountain of Lemneth have different places. Listed. I think, I mean, this is a complete guess, but I would think this is where they were when they wrote that part of the song. It's possible. What do you think it is? I have the slightest idea. I was thinking maybe uh, I don't like think it's where they were. They or mixing. Look, they didn't have the money to record in 17 different locations. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, there's no way. I mean, it's I don't know. A, I'm, I, you, I should have looked, I should have looked to see where this album was recorded, but I can guarantee it was recorded one spot in one week or two weeks maximum. Right. You know, they banged this thing out and they didn't do it in South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> that's true. Or Saskatchewan. Right. It was probably in Toronto somewhere or near there. So there are a, a few other things inside too. At the bottom, again, this is the, this is the album, the Gatefold album. I don't know if it's in the CD. I don't know if, it's, if this is represented in the CD. Okay, I'm going to look. You're you, going to look? You, you, you tell me. There's a, a Greek quote underneath um, the Necromancer. Show me where that is. Right, right there. <laughs> well, you want to see? Well, the thing is, the CD I have is, uh, I used to have the, the original CD I bought, Yeah. but I got the remaster. Oh. And the remaster came with the original artwork. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that is... It's this... Uh, that, obviously, you're, you're listening to this, not seeing it. It's the tiniest, tiniest reprint so of... Yeah, this... Every... You cannot read this. This is the exact replica of the inside of the album, but in CD form, I mean, it was tiny on the record. Yeah. It's unreadable. Yeah, you can't. If you didn't re- know what it said. You would not know what yeah, it said. Yeah, you can't. You can't read the lyrics. No. You can't read these lyrics. No, I mean, and the little, but the little pieces you were talking about that mentioned the cities. You can't see. It's there, but you you can't see that. No. So there's this there's this quote Latin quote I think, terminate, is it terminate, hora diem, terminate, octor opus, which means mm-hmm. the hour finished the day, the author finishes his work. Okay. Evidently, it's the, the last phrase used in Dr. Faustus. Faustus? Don't even know what that is. By Christopher Marlowe. Interesting. And? I don't I have nothing to say about that. So okay. It says, the hour finished the day, the author finishes his work. I have no idea what that has to do with anything. So we're it's gonna, also dedicated to Rod Serling. Again, the Twilight Zone. Right. We're back to that. I guess Neil Neil liked the Twilight Zone. Maybe, I, did, I assume did, the whole band did. Did Rod Serling die in 1974 or 5? Maybe. I don't Dedicated know. Dedicated to Mr. Rod Serling. Huh. Well, they were big fans of the Twilight Zone, clearly. Yeah. Another weird thing about this, 
See, I don't again. And in the next album, they the Twilight. There was a song called, called the Twilight, Twilight Zone. Right. So adding credence to the idea that nobody cares about this album at all, the original um, cassette tapes of this album switched two songs. I read about this too. Now this I saw this on Wikipedia, so I don't know how true this is. No, it's true. It's true. Okay, T- they, tell the story. Well, I I guess it had to do with the length of the sides. Mm-hmm. The twenty-minute-long Fountain of Lemneth is shorter than the other, the other sides. Songs. So, in yeah. order to balance out the tape or probably save money on tape, they switched. I think I'm going bald with Didax and Narpets. So they put I think I'm going bald right in the middle of the Fountain of Lemneth. Yeah, and Didax and Didax and Narpets comes just out of nowhere. It's the second song on the album. I mean, yeah, the second song in the album. Well, that I don't think probably was as weird as having, I think I'm going bald in the middle of this, this epic. Right, but at least in the flow of the Fountain of Lemneth, it, it, you can put it in some kind of context. It's, right. a, it's a drum solo right. with people screaming at each other right. for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very long. It's a very short song. So again, uh. they, they just threw up their hands, I think, on this album when it came to packaging it in any cohesive way. Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, I don't think Rush had anything to do with that. I no. think. I think the. But the, again, couldn't they have fixed it at the time? But maybe they just did, they didn't. I don't to. know if the band could. You know, they probably it probably was out of their hands, or was already printed and already sent out. You know, yeah. they probably did fix it, but but by then people are. How cool would it be to have a copy to to be able to? Yeah. Listen to that. Well, I guess you could just now you could just do it. You could edit it yourself. And, I don't know why you'd want and to just put yeah, it together. Can you like? I think I'm going bald. Just in the middle of the that's mountain a, of Lemnet. That's awesome. Nothing makes no sense. And it just sums up everything about this album. That that's this album in a nutshell, really. Yeah, right. Down the tubes, baby. Yeah. Um, and it was not received very well critically. No, it was not. No. Um, so more before we start talking about the fountain of Lemneth, um, here's a quote from Alex Lifeson. That was a tough period for Rush because Caressa Steel did not do well commercially but we were really happy with it and we wanted to develop that style. Getty Lee, this is um, part of the quote I mentioned in the last podcast. A lot of the early stuff I'm really proud of. Some of it sounds goofy. Some of it stands up better than I gave it credit for. As weird as my voice sounds when I listen back, I certainly dig some of the arrangements. I can't go back beyond 2112 really because that starts to get a bit hairy for me. (laughs) And if I hear Lakeside Park on the radio, I cringe, which is what I mentioned last time. Yeah. What a lousy song, but I don't, but I don't regret anything that I've done. Wow. So, um, with that, Jer, why don't we start to, uh, delve into the fountain of, of Lemneth. Uh, so this is, uh, divided up into six parts. Yeah. And, um, starts with part one, which is, uh, called In the Valley. Yet my eyes are drawn toward the mountain in the We should have called our our uh, podcast the podcast of Lemnet. <laughs> that would have been that cool. Have been That's what we should it's have too done. Too late. Too late. Oh, you know. Man. So I again, I have to say, I was such a humongous Rush fan when I first heard Rush that in high school 
I wrote a short story about the Fountain, Fountain of Lemnos. You did? Yeah. Wow. Basically, it was the story of the... You still have it? No. Oh. I probably ripped it up the second it was done. Oh, that would be so great for you. to. We could have just oh, read it. That, that would have been great. You, we could have read your short story, and that could have been the podcast. Right. That would have been great. I wrote it on a typewriter. The things we did in grammar school. Do you know I did an oral presentation sophomore year of high school on the history of Judas Priest? <laughs> <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I stood what up at you. <laughs> Where did you get your information from? I have no idea. I, I don't know. I guess I from read Judas. Metal Hammer magazine or something? Where are you getting? I don't know. There was no internet. This was, uh, I guess the year would have been 1985. Sophomore year? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember standing up in front of the class. Was it like a speech class? Speech? Uh, it must have been English. I don't know. I guess it was English class or something. I don't know. I had to do an oral presentation about. Anything. Anything. And I picked the history of Judas Priest, of all things. And I talked for 15, 20 minutes about Judas Priest. Wow. How great would it be to have video of that? Yeah. Wish we had that. That would be- For our other Judas Priest podcast. <laughs> Painkiller podcast. Oh, man. I'd once had a, um, I took a speech class, I think, in senior year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a public speaking class, whatever. We had it. We could have- we could do our final speech on anything we wanted to do. And I was going to do it on Rush, but I talked to the teacher and she was just like, well, you know, you really can't play. I wanted to play songs and talk about the songs and talk about Rush in general. And she's like, I don't think you can play songs. It's going to take like forever. So I did it on Stephen King instead. Okay. But yeah. But when I did that presentation on Judas Priest, the reason I didn't do it about Rush is that was probably right before I became a huge Rush fan. Yeah. I was still a little metalhead kid, you know? Yeah. So um, that was, uh, yeah, sophomore year of high school would have been, what did we say, 85? 85. And we saw, we saw Russia in 1986. Yeah. And that, and that sent me off on a whole different trajectory. Yeah. So a year later, I might have been doing the history of Rush, which would be a cool oral presentation. Yeah, sure. That's what we're doing right yeah, now. I guess we're doing that I right now. I guess we're doing that right now. So, um, so anyway, this song, I guess the first part of the song is about birth almost, no? Yeah. I think the entire song, well, yeah. So it's, it's about birth and it's an interesting way to, it's an interesting way to begin a song. I am born. Right. Mm -hmm. I am born. I am new. So he's a, he's an infant. Mm -hmm. He's just being born. He's an infant. And there's one line after, you know, after it starts rocking, right? mm -hmm. he says, the one who soothes and feeds, mm -hmm. which is his mother. My way of life is easy. And as simple are my needs. Because mm -hmm. he's a baby. He has nothing to worry about. Yeah. My eyes have just been opened and they're open very wide. Images around me don't identify inside. And this is where, I mean, I love that part of the song. Yeah. You know, yeah just one screaming. blur I recognize. Mm -hmm. The one that soothes and feeds. It's his mom. Mm -hmm. You can't see anything. You know, babies are kind of, blind up to a certain point and the right. only blur that he the only thing in the blur that he can recognize is his own mother mm -hmm. it's great yeah it's like poetry it is poetry the whole this whole first part is wonderful mm -hmm. yet my eyes are drawn towards the mountain in the east fascinates and captivates give my heart no peace the mountains hold the sunrise and the prison of the night till bursting forth from rocky chains the valley floods with light that sounds to me like the beginning of a great myth that 
you can found a religion on. Mm-hmm. And which is, I guess, is basically the whole idea is that there's this mountain that I don't know if it's if they really believe that the sun goes down and the mountain holds it in chains until the next morning. But that definitely sounds like something. Oh yeah, looks like a religious thing. Like a religious thing that that a tribe might believe in. Yeah, looking up at the mountain and the sunrise. Any any Greek god would be founded on the same thing. So I guess then the goal is to get to the top of this mountain and see the fountain of Lemneth. Right. The goal is to find out what's at the top of this sacred mountain that holds the sun. And maybe somebody came up with this this fountain that's there. Yeah. Story of a fountain. Right. And the, the, and the, could the fountain be simply just a waterfall? Right. We don't know yet, Steve. We don't know yet. When we get there, we'll find out. Yeah. Because people have always attributed mystical, godlike goings-on to mountains. Mm-hmm. Right? Mount, Mount Olympus is a real place. Yeah. God's lived up there. Mount Fuji. Well, that's probably because they couldn't, you know, back in those days, they couldn't get to the top of the mountain. So, and just like many people believe that God is up in the sky, there's something about being above humans. Like deities are always above us, right? Like pharmacists? (laughs) Yes. Always on that little platform, looking down (laughs) on us, judging us. I don't think that I don't think they do that anymore. You know, you go to CVS, they're they're on the same level as you, which well, I kind of like. I go to a pharmacy that's more of a like an old kind of right. apothecary, and he's up on a platform. Oh still. yeah, yeah. Why is that? I don't know. Why that's that a whole other podcast. Yeah, hmm. the apothecary podcast. <laughs> but um, I just think it's interesting that whenever people talk about God or any kind of gods, they're always above us. They're they're in the sky. They're mm-hmm. up on that mountain. They're basically out of reach, I think, is just what, what right. they are. You'll never get to the top of Mount Olympus. I guess you know, people do. But back then... You never could. You never there could. was no way. Right. Or if you, or if you tried, you, you never came back. And right. they, the just, gods they just assumed God yeah. struck you down. Exactly. So that brings us to part two of the Fountain of Lemneth. Lemneth, sorry. I, I'm, I can never say you it, can't say that, no. I can't do it. Didax and Narthus. What is a didact and narpet? Do you know? Or you? I, I'm asking you. No. So didact is, um, comes from the word didactical. Okay. And didactical is a way of uh, teaching that's in, very inflexible, kind of moralistic. Okay. And it's teaching, like teaching you that this is the right way things are. And it can also be pat- patronizing. Okay. So if there's a teacher, a didactic teacher... You know, this is, I'm telling you what is, this is the way things are, you little baby man. You just do what I tell you. Okay. And Narpitz is uh, an anagram of parents. So the song is a discussion between our character who's unnamed, mm-hmm. right? And the teachers and parents who are trying to get him to conform to whatever way of life they have in their little valley. Because there are actual lyrics to this song. It doesn't sound like it. In the lyrics in the album, all you hear is the word listen at the end. Right. Which is said by two voices. Mm-hmm. And there are the two voices. The, the Getty says one of them, and the deeper voice says another. And Getty is the guy 
who's going to the fountain of Lemnath. Isn't Neil doing the deeper voice on this album? I don't know. I think they pitch him down. Right. So the two different ones, the two different lyrics of this song I found online, because they're Mm -hmm. not in the liner notes, they're stay, go, work, know, think, live, earn, give, wait, fight, laugh, write, and then listen. So why didn't they print these lyrics that you just read off to me no idea. on the album? No idea. Why just put listen in there? I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Now, now what I, I found, I know I asked you what did Axe and Narpets meant. Um, I also found it said it's an anagram for parents, Narpets, but Didax is an anagram for addicts. You think that's possible? I don't think that's true, no. You think it just happens to be? Yeah, I think that it's it's a conversation between, you know, the authority figures where he's living. Okay. He's probably at this point, he recognizes in the first part of the song that he has, he, he's restless and he wants to go somewhere. He wants to follow his dream or find out what's on the mountain, right? And he tells them off camera and they get into this little argument. Hmm. They say stay, and he says go. They say work, he says no. He, they say think, he says live. They say earn, he says give. He says wait, they say, I mean, they say wait, he says fight. And then listen. Probably as an aside, in Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, okay. whenever something important is about to happen, he says listen. Do you think this has something to do with Kurt Vonnegut? No, I just thought that was interesting. It is. I mean, it could. I mean, it's it's possible. Neil has influences from everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to pin down where he's getting his influences from. Now, if we happen to be listening on the cassette version of this, (laughs) this guy would now think he's going bald. Right. But luckily for us, we have the vinyl. Right. So we've got the correct song, Didax and Narpets. So, yeah. So the listen is both of them shouting at each other to listen to the other listen to the other side listen to reason they're both probably saying listen to reason you have to stay where you are i have to go where i need to go but it's also a good way to be like listen and then here comes the story right this is where the story starts okay let's listen to the story steve okay uh no one at the bridge no is the, the bridge. next part of the story jerry now the seas do I'm not sure what no one at the bridge means, because I don't think a bridge is actually mentioned. But basically, he's on a boat. He's on a boat. Well, is is a bridge a part of a boat? <gasps> yes, of course. There oh you go. Oh, my God. No one at... Yeah. <laughs> How dumb am you I? You just figured it out, Jer. I just figured it out. Yeah. Bridge, right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So when I heard this, I mean, I guess I thought of this before, but as I was really thinking about it, this part of the song sounds a little bit like a scene from the odyssey odysseus uh, is traveling through some part of the ocean and he's warned that there are sirens the sirens are these beautiful women who lure seamen to their deaths with beautiful songs okay and then well they lure them with their beautiful songs and once the seamen crash on the rocks the sirens eat them so odysseus 
wants to hear what this song is. He wants to know what they're singing that would cause people to just crash and die. So he instructs his entire crew to plug their ears with beeswax and then tie him to the mast so that he can hear them and hear what they're singing about, but be unable to crash to into crash. the rocks. But, and that's what, hap- that's what he says in the song. I'm lashed, helpless to the mast, and there's nobody else on the boat. Oh, wow. His, his crew has deserted him. So it makes me think that maybe the same kind of thing happened. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And again, who knows if Neil had this idea in his head. I wouldn't put it past him as, a, as just an image, as a way to evoke an, another story of a great journey. Yeah. And a great the- journey of discovery. Call out for direction. There's no one there to steer. Yep. Shout out for salvation, but there's no one there to hear. Cry out supplication. For the maelstrom is near. Right. Scream aspiration, but no one cares to hear. Maelstrom being a storm. Mm-hmm. Supplication being on your knees, yeah. begging. At the end, why, why must the crew, crew desert me. me when I need a guiding hand? Yeah. So did they fall prey? Yeah. And no one at the bridge means uh, the crew wasn't. On the bridge. There you go. We figured out what it means. I guess. Look at that. So you just got to talk about it. That's it. Right. It's just, it's just an interesting part of the song. Again, I have no idea if that's what it means. Now, uh, the next part of the song, part four, I mentioned in the last podcast that Alex wasn't, uh, wasn't a fan of this portion of the song. Um, Oh wait, I just want to get one, go back to the, to the, no one at the bridge. Alex is solo. Oh yeah. On this song. Oh yeah. One of his best. Yeah, because it, he should it, have smoked weed a lot more. <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I, the reason why I love his solo is because it kind of it has a bluesy kind of feel to it. That's really on the first album, mm-hmm. but it has a lot more technical ability that comes from their proggy direction. Yeah, so it's just a wonderful, wonderful solo. He's amazing. I mean, and only 22 years old then. So, so like I said, he wasn't a big fan of Panacea, but I would say that's one of this is one of my favorite parts of the the song. So I agree. So what what do you think uh, this portion of the song is, is about, Jer? Panacea? Yeah, it's like a cure. Well, Panacea yeah, is, is a cure-all, but Panacea was also a Greek goddess. Oh, okay. A Greek goddess of, uh, of healing and remedy. Mm-hmm. So that's where the word Panacea comes from. So, he gets, he, so he's on this boat, lashed to the mast. His crew has deserted him for whatever reason. I'm assuming he crashes on this island. Mm-hmm. Again... Sort of like the sirens are a temptation that you have to resist. Crashes on this island, and there's another temptation, this beautiful woman mm-hmm. who wants him to stay, or he wants to stay with her. And I can't resist your gentle lure. My heart will lie beside you. And I mean, it's not the wa- best. And my wandering body grieves. It's not the best song, lyrically, because mm-hmm. there's this one point uh, about their naked bodies. Her body's soft and warm, naked in our unity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little much. 
<laughs> Gentle hands that promise me comfort through the years. Yeah, so this is a, a typical story, uh, like a journey of a, a hero. Mm-hmm. He, he finds himself somewhere where he's encouraged to give up his quest, mm-hmm. and he rejects it. Right, he has one end. night with this... Uh, Who knows how long it is. Well, yeah. it says, I know I must be gone before the light of dawn. Eh, could be any day. Who okay. knows how long he's there. Because okay. I think, again, in some myths, it might even be in the Odyssey, some, one, of the, one of the heroes goes someplace, and he thinks he's there for a day, but it turns out he was there for like two years. You know, oh, okay. there's some kind of weird time thing where the people who are trying to derail you, you, know, keep, you, there, you. keep you there longer than you think you're there. Right. Hmm. Okay. And a, a, one interesting thing is ambergris. Do you know what ambergris is? No. Ambergris. <laughs> so weird. Ambergris is a, is a waxy substance that's secreted by the intestines of a sperm whale and is used to make perfume. Okay, if you catch the scent of ambergris. It smells good. Yeah, but do you know what it is? I guess. Back in the 1800s, you did. Huh. Sailors would find it floating in the ocean. Wow. And they would scoop it up. And it was such a, a good smell that uh, they was, made perfume out of it. Yeah, it was very expensive. Wow. The sperm whale is an interesting whale in general. Huh. Interesting. Because the, the sperm whale has a. As a reservoir, also of waxy liquid or something in their heads that's used to make candles. Wow. <laughs> I'm learning so much just from this album, Jer. Yeah, it's crazy. So it yeah, is. I just like the word ambergris. That's all. No, it's cool. Yeah, so Panacea. Panacea. She says that she can cure him, heal him, mm-hmm. possibly heal him so much that he does not have to go on his journey anymore. And he says, later. Later. I got to go see that fountain, baby. I got to go. This, this fountain, man, it's calling me. Got to get there. Prison of the night or whatever. So we're through part four now of this six-part epic, yeah. which brings us to Bacchus Plateau. Yeah. Another reference to a god, Bacchus. Uh, the Roman god of wine? Right. Is that correct? That is right. And if I'm not no, mistaken, does Bacchus make an appearance in hemispheres? Or maybe, no, it's Dionysus. Yeah, Dionysus so is, is the Greek god of, of wine. Right, it's the Greek version of... Right. So it's not Bacchus, it's Dionysus. Right, but they're the same, they have the same right. know, patronage, who knows. So Neil went uh, from Roman gods to Greek gods. Yeah. Got it. Everybody likes the Greek gods better. And as I mentioned um, in the last podcast, the riff here is exactly the same as high water. Yeah, right. Which is pretty cool. Right. And that uh, Alex either deliberately or accidentally recreated it. Uh, Probably accidentally. Given, I think, given, given I think what in we've this learned ca- about I, their feelings of this album. I think in this case it was accidental. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's not exactly, you know, it's not the same guitar sound, obviously, because yeah. it was years later. But it's the same sort of riff, and I like, and I do like the riff. 
Oh yeah, it's great. You know, I mean, this great. So far, all the songs have been great. Mm-hmm. And I think the story so far is really good, except for the, the panacea part is kind of weird. Slows things down, and yeah, but that's you know that's typical of these. In twenty one twelve, there's this section similar. Yeah, that's true. And you know, I don't have an issue with that, and I don't have an issue with this one either. So right. So I guess the the purpose of this song in the story is this Bacchus Plateau, mm-hmm. and uh, he's drinking wine a lot. So I don't know if he's with other people. But again, he finds himself in a land of temptation. Right. And he reaches, I'm assuming he reaches his limit, because that would be his, he plateaus, you know what I mean? He hits wherever his life is going, he feels like it has plateaued in this spot. Right. And maybe he has to quit drinking in order to get to where he's going. Like, he's lost his way. He's left uh, this woman that he loved, and now he's found himself in this land of wine and drunkenness. Now he's, he, I think he realizes that he's hit the, he said his plateau. Mm-hmm. Is, I got to go somewhere from here. The okay. fountain, baby. Got to go to the fountain. But I found some interesting things about the cask of 43, which is what he mentions oh, in the song. You, you learned what that means. I don't know if I learned what it means, but I learned what people think it means. Draw another goblet from the cask of 43. For a long time, I always thought it was the cask of fortitude. I don't know oh, why. Oh, really? I always thought it was 43. Oh. I mean, I, like I said, I never really delved into the lyrics too deeply, but I always thought it was cask of 43. And I assume that means 1943. Yes. So there are three things I found on rushvault.com. I guess it's like a, it's just a a bulletin board type of place where people talk about rush things. One of the theories is that 19, that 43 represents 1943, which is the year that Albert Hoffman, a doctor in Switzerland, first, took LSD. Really? Yeah. He invent he created So what does that have to do with a cr- cask of wine? I, I don't know. Just disorientation okay. or whatever. Okay. He, he uh, this guy he created synthetic LSD in like 1938 or 1939, but he didn't do anything with it. I think he was trying to find a cure for pain or some kind of analgesic or whatever. And uh I guess I don't know, I was sitting around and he was just like I'm going to take some of this. So he does, and he immediately starts feeling weird. He has no idea what this thing is going to do. Right. right? And he, te- he asks his lab assistant to, to help him get home. So the lab assistant takes a bicycle, takes his bicycle, and uh, this doctor gets on the back of the bicycle and basically trips out on a bicycle ride through Whoa. Switzerland on the way home. And then after that, he was like, this stuff is amazing, and people start using LSD all the time. You think this this has something to do with LSD? I'm just telling him. Telling you way? what I read. Okay, so this was this was on a rush. Yeah, on a rush blog post great, or something. That's an interesting story. Yeah, it's an interesting the, story, use. but so there are two other theories. I mean, and is this wine laced with LSD? Is that what it could be? Could be. I don't know. I guess it's like 420. You know, people talk about 420 as a as a as a shorthand for smoking pot. Yeah, but uh, but I, I love some the, people talk about 1943 or 43 uh, when they're taking LSD. Huh. I love the lyrics here: "Crimson, misty memory, hazy glimpse of me." Yeah, give me back my wonder. I've something more to give. Right. Guess it doesn't matter. There's not much more to live. Wow. Yeah. So it. I mean, if you want to kind of go in the direction of of LSD, 
he's being faced with two different things, right? He's just like, give me back my wonder. But then at the end, he's like, eh, there's not much more to live anyway. What difference does it make? He's, 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 he wants to continue, but he doesn't want to continue. He wants to go. He doesn't want to go. He's, mm-hmm. My soul grows ever weary and the end is ever near. Yeah. This is my favorite part of the, the whole song. I love, love this section. Yeah. This is just builds to the, the final, the final part. Yeah. Well, there's two other, you want to hear the two other interpretations of 43? Of course. This one is probably the truest, if not the true one. Oh, the other one wasn't true? I don't think the other one is. Oh, okay. There's a a Spanish liqueur called Mirabalis, Mirabalis, which has 43 ingredients and is nicknamed liqueur 43. Okay. So that might be it. It's a cask of this liquid that he's drinking. That's probably the real thing. Okay, and what's the third one, which is probably not the real thing? The third one is about Anne Rand. Oh, Anne the, Rand. When she was writing uh, Atlas Shrugged in okay. 1943, oh. she, had, she had a group of alkalites who would I don't know, sit at her feet and listen to her spout gibberish all day long, and they called themselves the Class of 43. The Class of 43. Right, which kind of sounds like the Cask of and we do know that Neil read a lot of Ayn Rand yeah, at this did. time of his life. Yeah. So that could be it too. Yeah. There's only one person who knows what it means. God? No. Neil. Two people. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> there are two people who know. Uh, the prime mover and Neil. Yeah, that's right. Both know what this means. But right. that, those, are three, those are three options. Maybe yeah. what the listeners of the podcast can do is tweet at us and let us know what what you think. You know, yeah. I you know what I should do. What should you do? I should put up a Twitter poll. Yeah, yeah. I'll do. I'll do three. that. I'll do that when we release this podcast. The three options, and see uh, if that we even be, get one would be vote. Interesting. <laughs> I think a couple people will vote. I'll vote. You'll vote. What we'll are you going to vote for? I don't know. I, I'm going <laughs> to. You I, don't have to decide now. Obviously. No, no. I I think I'm going to vote for the um the first one. That you oh, said the LSD one? Yeah, I'm going to vote for the LSD. I'm, I'm going for the liqueur. Okay. All right. But we'd just be guessing. The only way we'll find out is if Neil votes. Oh, that would be great. Does he even have a, a <laughs> no. Twitter? Of course not. Of course not. He might. Not. You never know. Uh, he, I think he does, but I don't think he runs it. I think it's like a Neil Peart News sort of thing. Oh, yeah. You know, that maybe somebody, one of his people runs. Yeah. Uh, but- not paying attention to the lyrics. This is a great song. This oh, yeah. This is a great song. Oh, it's absolutely. It actually stands on its own. Some of the other, couple of the other songs don't really stand on their own. Oh, you mean this part? This part, part of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love this. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, which brings us to the, the final yeah. part. The Fountain. So um, this brings us to the end of, of, I guess, this guy's life almost, right? I didn't see, I didn't think of it that way. Okay. I just think, um, you know, he says, 
Look, the mist is rising and the sun is peeking through. See the steps grow lighter as I reach the final few. Hear the dancing waters I must be drawing near. Feel my heart is pounding with embattled hope and fear. Mm -hmm. But then he gets there and he realizes that even though he, 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 this is what he's been searching for for I don't know how long, trials and tribulations to get there. But when he gets there, he doesn't feel anything. He just doesn't feel a sense of accomplishment. He feels mm -hmm. nothing. He says, now at last I fall before the fountain of Lemneth. I thought I would be singing, but I'm tired out of breath. Many journeys end here, but the secret is told the same. Life is just a candle and a dream gives it flame. See, my interpretation of this is that the reason he's weary is because he's an old man. I think this is the end of his life, and I think the fountain is heaven. Really? Yeah. I didn't think of that at all. I, I'm thinking yeah. of it as an actual physical. No, I, I think it's, I, I think it's. Do so you think it's more metaphorical? Yeah. I think uh, religious people, their goal is to get to heaven or what they believe to be heaven. Yeah. And this is uh, where this guy has come to. So I think the whole story so far has been just a, a big metaphor for Yeah, that's, that's what I think. As opposed to a, an actual story of one man's Correct. Dream. That's what I think it is. But I could be completely wrong, but that's my interpretation of it. Right. I, d I didn't think of it that way. Okay. But, but it, could, it could certainly be something else. Because I, don't, I just think it's, he gets to the fountain and realizes that it's not the fountain that he's been searching for. It's mm. a thing. The fountain is the thing that, gives, that gave his life meaning, something to attain to. And now that he's there, he realizes that it's not the fountain. It's, it's, the, it's the searching. That's what he needs. He needs to dream. We, we've covered that before in different songs. But, but, but maybe, maybe we're both right, though. People strive to get to heaven, but you know, maybe what Neil's saying is there is no heaven. It's the journey that's the mm. most important thing. Yeah. And when you get to heaven, it's not there, just like the fountain's not there. Yeah, but the end, so the end, the song ends where it begins, which is great. You know, with the, mm -hmm. with the guitar. Yep. And he says, I'm in motion. I am still. I am crying. I am still. I'm together. I'm apart. I'm forever at the start. So the, the way I interpret that is that he's forever at the start, meaning now that he has, has achieved this goal, he has to find another goal. He has to have some other adversity in his so life. So it starts over again. So the whole the cycle starts, starts over again. Over again. Yeah, because it says, still I am. Hmm. I think he's, he needs to find something else to do, <laughs> something else to yeah, strive once you, for. Once you get to the fountain, then what else is there? Yeah, you get to the fountain, you're like, okay, this is a, now pretty, what do I do? It's a pretty nice fountain. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing up here that I thought was going to be here. No answers. Mm -hmm. right, that's, isn't that's what he says? The key, the end, the answer, stripped of their disguise. There's just nothing there. Right. There is no answer at the, at the fountain of Lemneth. And is the fountain a fountain? Or it's not even there? Or is it a waterfall? That's right, I, I don't know. Whatever, I whatever he was looking for, he didn't find it and realizes that the looking is all that mattered to him. The journey. The journey. So a real depressing way to end. No, but, it, but that brings us back to the song Prime Mover. It's like full circle. The line in Prime Mover, the point of the journey is not to arrive. Here you go. That's so it. Prime Mover, in a weird way, is similar to the Fountain of Lemneth. Yeah, the, the topic is. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I like it's it. It's pretty profound. 
very profound. Yeah. It's just we, weird that we picked those two albums to to discuss back to back. Yeah. So there's a lot more to Caress of Steel. Than we could possibly talk about for hours. Yeah. It's great. It's I great think album. the next time we should, you know, smoke weed or something <laughs> and then talk about it and then see what we come talk up about Caress of Steel again. Then we see what we come up with. <laughs> no? That would be an interesting one. That would be interesting. We but come that up brings with some us... crazy stuff. Yeah. The that... cask of 43, who knows what we come up with then. Yeah, no. That brings up the question of what is going to be the album oh, we talk we have about to... next. Look, I decided Caress of Steel. No, so now... I decided the first two. I decided. Oh, so now I have to you pick? You have to decide too. You know what I think we should do? Uh, we did Power Windows and Hold Your Fire back to back. Yeah. Why don't we do Caress of Steel and 2112 back to back? Okay. Since since Caress of Steel, as we discussed, kind of is the leaping off point to 2112. Right. Okay. I think it's only fitting that we do them together. Yeah. Because they kind of go together, just like Power Windows and Hold Your Fire sort of go together. Yeah. Sort of. Go together more than any other album would go together. You mean like stage-wise? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to pair two albums together, you'd pair those two, I would think, rather than right. Hold Your Fire and Presto, let's say, which follows it. Sure. You know, Presto and Counterparts are kind of together in my mind, you know? I don't know. No, that makes perfect sense to me. Why so uh, so let's do 2112 next. Great. As we always say, we can uh, we can be followed on Twitter at Rush Fancast, and I, I suggest you do that if you haven't done it already, uh, so we can converse and uh, discuss this stuff more. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the Rushcast. Email Jerry. Tell him what you think of this podcast, the Rushcast at gmail.com. We'll also put you on our email list, and then we'll tell you as soon as the podcast is up, we'll let you know. Just let us know what you think. We, we're curious to know what the fans think of the podcast, and we'd love to alter it in any way to make it alter better for you. Alter our podcast? Sure, to make, it better, to make it better for the fans. It's the Rush fan cast. That's true. It's for Rush fans. Right. I'm not saying completely alter it, just... You know, if if a fan has a suggestion, oh yeah, sure, we'd be glad to consider like, it. Like, hey, why don't you guys shut up? Well, we'd never consider that. No, I'm not going to do that. No. So until next time, we'll do twenty one twelve. Jared, do you have a, a fine quote for me? I think I do, Steve. Oh, I can't wait. Steve, remember, I am young, sight unseen, life unsung.